We are looking at 2 John this morning, and this is actually the beginning of a new series that we have called the Postcard Epistles. These are the shortest four books of the New Testament, and over the next few weeks, uh, we get to hear from Pat Levis, uh, who's preaching, and Sean Farrell, and John Plesnick, and, and I'm preaching this morning out of 2 John. And uh, actually, this is one of the most petite letters of the New Testament. Do you like that word, petite? I, uh, I didn't know the word petite until I married Serena. And then I, then I saw her going to the petite section to buy her clothes. And, and, all, you know, and now, now we know it just means short. That's all it is. Hey, Chris is taking uh, a break from pulpit duties. Uh, he's uh, partly... Uh, spending time with grandkids and partly doing some ministry elsewhere. And so please be praying for them, for Chris and Jean as they travel. We, uh, we love them heaps, and uh, we miss them big time when they're gone. But for today, I want to talk about how to walk, how to walk in love and in truth. Some, some of you, some of you are known for your love. Uh, you're gushy, you're sympathetic, it's like you walk around with one of those t-shirts, you know, free hugs here. That's kind of you. You just love on everyone. And then some of you are known for your commitment to truth. You've got no fear whatsoever. You, you will walk up to a perfect stranger in the street and say, hey dude, you've got a BO problem. You need to buy some deodorant, right? That's, that's your commitment to truth, no fear, you'll say what needs to be said. But I wonder, I wonder if you've really studied from Scripture what it looks like to be 100% committed to both love and truth. In 2 John, we are introduced to a Christian lady in the church, and uh, this lady was the sweetest, nicest old lady that you could come across. She was most likely a widow And uh, she had grown children who were walking with Christ. They had a great testimony. She had a great testimony. It turns out, it looks like she has a really large house. That's our assumption. And she had a reputation for being hospitable. That's what she did. She, She had a large home and she hosted people, not just people from her own little clique. She hosted strangers who were visiting, coming into town. Now, John, he's writing to this lady because she thinks that she is loving people. She thinks she's doing all this hospitality, she's warm and inviting. She thinks she's the most loving person around, but she's got a problem. She's got a big problem. And John is writing to her and saying, Lady, you think that you're walking according to love, but you're actually not loving anyone. And so he's going to bring some correction. She thought she was a loving person, but she wasn't. Now, John needs to write this letter and kind of wonder, like, how's he going to do this? How, how do you tell someone who loves to do something? I mean, that, that's the one thing they love to do. How do you tell them to stop? It, it, it would be like... It would be like telling Pat Levis that he can't bounce up and down again like when he's, when he's leading worship. Like he loves to do that. How could you tell him to stop, really? Or how could you tell Dojo Aguilar to stop smiling? Like that's just what he loves to do. Or how could you tell Chris Mueller to stop hating on the cats? Because he just loves hating on the cats, right? How do you tell someone to stop doing the very thing that they love to do? Well, that's John's job this morning in 2 John. He's going to ask this lady to stop doing hospitality in her home. And I want to show you this morning that love and truth must go hand in hand. You cannot be a loving person without being truthful. And you cannot be a truthful person unless you deliver that message with great love. And so I want to show you this morning four ways, four ways to walk in love and in truth. We're going to really speed through the letter. It's going to be fast, but 
buckle up and you'll be fine. Four ways to walk in love and truth. Here we go. Number one, first, we need to pursue relationships in love and truth. Pursue relationships in love and truth. Look at verse 1 with me. Verse 1 of Second John. John says, the elder, that's him. He is the elder. He's the disciple John, the apostle John. He calls himself the elder in 3 John, which we will look at next Sunday morning with Pat. And he calls himself the elder here in 2 John. Why? Because he's old. (laughs) He's just an old man. uh, He is the oldest living apostle when he writes this. He's probably around 90 years old. Look at verse 1 again. He says, the elder, that's him, to the elect lady and her children. You say, who's that? Who's this lady? Well, some people say that this term, lady, uh, represents the church. The church then is seen as the bride of Christ. Uh, Some say John is writing to a local congregation and he's referring to them as the chosen lady or the bride. And that certainly could work. There's nothing wrong with that interpretation. But honestly and frankly, I think it seems most normal and most natural just to take the the term for what it says. Just take it literally. And actually it works the best as you read through the the rest of the letter to see this lady as an actual woman, an esteemed widow in a local church. And this is a church that John is actually coming, going to come and visit real soon. So let's just take it that way, shall we? Now look at verse 1 again. He says, the elect, sorry, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Okay, so John identifies himself. He identifies the recipient of the letter, that's this lady. And then he says that he loves her. (laughs) He loves her. He loves her and her children. And then he says everyone else who also loves the truth also loves her. This is a lady who was beloved. And then he says here, why why am I writing? Look at verse 2. He says he's writing for the sake of the truth. For the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. So his letter writing then is motivated by just one thing, truth. He loves the truth. Listen, he loves the lady and he loves her children, but his writing of this letter is actually for the sake of the truth. That's what motivates him. And then look at verse 3. This is his greeting. He says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. So that's John's introduction. That's his greeting, you might say. Just three verses. But already, just in those three verses, we, we start to get a feel for what his theme is going to be. And you can see it because he's repeating some selected words over and over again. You'll see it there just in those three verses. I've underlined them for you in the outline. He's already mentioned the word love two times. And he's going to mention that again soon. Also, he's mentioned the word truth four times. And he hasn't stopped. He's going to mention that again as he continues on. So that's the theme. But all that to say this, in his greeting, in his introduction, he's showing us that the basis of his relationship with this lady is both love and truth. That's how we do relationships. That's how we pursue fellowship. Now, number two. Number two in your outline. Secondly, we are to practice obedience in love and truth, obedience. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, John says to this lady, he says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in truth. Well, that's really encouraging, isn't it? Imagine if that was you, and you find out your children 
are walking in truth. That's wonderful. Apparently, as John was traveling around, he came across some of her children and saw their testimony and saw their walk. And, and now he's saying to this lady, their mother, saying, they're doing great. They're doing wonderfully. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, look at this. He explains in verse 4. He says, they're walking in truth just as we receive commandment from the Father. Now, that's interesting. So the Father then, sometime before this, God the Father had given a commandment, and her grown children are now walking according to that commandment. You say, what was the commandment? Well, boy, there's an awful lot we could choose from, from the Old Testament. But I guess one of the more important ones, maybe the most important, Deuteronomy 27.10 says this, You shall obey the Lord your God and do his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. And so John is writing to this lady and she's saying, and he's saying, be encouraged, lady, because your children are walking in exactly this way. They're doing great. They are examples of obedience and walking faithfully according to the truth of God. But then look at what John does next. Kind of, he kind of turns the tables on this lady. He turns his attention to her. And he says in verse 5, he says, Now I ask you, lady. I'm asking you now, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning. I'm asking you, lady, that we love one another. He asks this lady to love people. <laughs> He's saying, lady, I just want you to love people. But now put yourself in her shoes. Because <laughs> this is a lady who is the nicest, most hospitable, most gracious, most kind lady in the church. And John is writing to her and saying, lady... Your kids are doing it, now you need to start too. But whoa, that had to be a shock. That had to be a surprise to her. And he, she's got to be thinking, wait a second, John. Wait a second, I, I am the most loving person in this church. And you want me to start loving? But you see, her problem was that her definition of love was way off. She was not loving according to the scriptures. She thought she was loving, but she wasn't. Look at verse 6. And John explains this here. He says, now this is love. See, her definition of love was way off. So he's saying, now, lady, here's the correct definition of love. It is this. This is love that we walk according to to his commandments. So for us then, what is love? Walking according to God's commandments. That's what it is. What is real love? It's obedience to God. And then John repeats this. Look at verse 6. He says, this is the commandment. This is it. Just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Now just rewind a second. Because we know that this lady is, she's thinking, she's thinking, but I am walking in love. That's what I do. But here's the deal. The Apostle John, he knows better. He knows that she's got to tweak her, her understanding of what love is. She's got to change that. And he actually uses a fantastic motivation. I wonder if you saw it. He says to her, says, lady, look at your kids. <laughs> They're walking in the truth. They're walking in love. And I, I need you to do the same, lady. I need you to do the same. I, I wonder if she was a little bit confused. What do you think? A little bit flummoxed? Like, wait a second, John? But John's going to give some context here, and this will become clear. I want you to just wait for this, and let's work through the text because his line of argumentation is just brilliant. It's, it's pretty cool. 
for now, all that John is saying is this. Our obedience must be practiced in love and truth, otherwise it's not, not obedience. We could say it this way. Love and obedience go hand in hand. They are the same thing. In fact, Jesus himself, he said, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. See, that's love. Keeping his commandments. Loving and walking according to the truth go hand in hand. They're the same thing. You might be saying, wait a second, I'm not sure what this all means. Okay, next point. Look at this with me. Number three. John says to this lady, you need to perform discernment. Perform discernment in love and truth. In all of your loving, you need to apply truth. He says, lady, you've got to learn to be more discerning. Now look at his explanation here in verse 7. This is where John gives us all of the explanations as to why he's saying this. Look at verse 7. He says, for... Or, or another way to translate that would be because, because or for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Huh. Who are these deceivers? He says it, those who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. It's like, whoa, wait a second, John, you just turned the tables. You went from this lady in her house and hospitality, and now you're talking about false teachers? But look at this, because this is what was happening. There were heretics, there were false teachers, there were imposters, and they were traveling around the churches, and they were pretending to be the official teachers of the churches, but the problem was that they were spreading a lie. They were liars. And they were coming into these churches and they were saying, Jesus is not God. He's not God in human flesh. That's what they were teaching. And so, so they didn't believe in the incarnation. They, they totally denied one of the most essential tenets of Christian doctrine. They were deceivers and antichrists and they were actually undermining and attacking the foundational truths of the gospel. Now, it's interesting because these itinerant preachers, they'd come into town and they actually expected to be put up by the local church. They expected to receive financial aid from these local believers. But the problem was that they were false teachers. I mean, they were Gnostics, they denied the clear teaching of the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is really simple to read and understand, that God would become a man in order to be a perfect sacrifice for sinners. That's basic in Scripture. Now, John actually had warned about these teachers before in his first epistle, 1 John 2, verse 22. This is what he said. He says, who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. And the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. And then later, in that same letter in chapter 4, he says this. He says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every teacher that comes into town. Don't believe them. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many prophets, many false prophets, have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So John has told, has warned about these teachers before. And now John is warning this chosen lady, and he's saying, lady, you've got to be careful, because she's the kind of person who just wants to entertain everyone. She wants everyone in her, in her home. But 
there are certain people who should never be welcomed into her home. That's John's message. And he's going to give four reasons. Look at these. He wants her to be careful. So here's the four reasons. Verse 8, he says, See to yourselves, lady and your children, that, that you do not lose what we accomplished. Huh. Don't lose what we accomplished. In other words, lady, you might lose all the great progress of the gospel. You know, the, the good news had come into the area and transformed so many people's lives and churches were springing up everywhere. But if these heretics, if these false teachers are allowed to infiltrate the churches and infiltrate Christian homes, then the fruit of the gospel will be lost. He says, don't lose that. And then second, he says, verse 8, he wants her to receive a full reward. A full reward. So that means then, it must mean, that this lady's eternal reward was at stake. He's saying to her, lady, think about your eternal future, you could have a great full reward in heaven or you could have it removed. Make your choice, lady. Make your choice. Which do you prefer? You'll remember Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5.10. He said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Remember that? We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one will be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. And, and John is saying the same thing to this lady. He, he's saying you, you could have your eternal reward in heaven, but that's determined by your actions today. So be, be obedient to the truth, she cannot afford to have these visitors in her home anymore. Look at verse 9. Here's the third warning. John says to her, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, well, that person doesn't have God. Whoa. Well, that means salvation is at stake. These Gnostics, they... They're coming in and they reject the incarnation. It's obvious. They don't have God. They don't know God. They're not Christians. And, and then he's saying, lady, but you better be careful too. That you don't buy into their lies. Because if you allow yourself to be influenced by these antichrists, if you too believe their false teaching, you also will prove not to be a Christian. The consequences are huge. So she's got to think about salvation. Instead of losing salvation, verse 9, he says, but the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. That is the ultimate test of Christianity, isn't it? Just ask someone, do you believe that Jesus Christ the man is 100% God? It's one of the tests. Has to be. They are satisfied. Genuine Christians are satisfied with the plain teaching of Scripture. They don't need to add anything. They don't need to go beyond that. They don't need any super spiritual or super secret new truths. They don't care about any of that. They simply believe the words of Scripture. Jesus is God in human flesh, and they believe it by faith. That is genuine Christianity. Now, fourth reason, fourth warning, look at this, verse 10. He says, if anyone comes to you, lady, and, and doesn't bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Now, th this is where the lady was getting it wrong. He says, don't receive him into your house, and don't give him a greeting. Why? Because the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Okay, that right there is the crux of the issue. This, this is what John has been building up to. This is the whole point right here. He's saying, be careful, lady. You, you have to learn to be more discerning. You have to learn that there are some people you shouldn't entertain in your house. 
Because if you keep doing this, lady, you are aiding and abetting the false teachers. And if you do that, you are participating in their evil deeds. Now, just for clarity's sake, I want you to know that the Bible is real clear about hospitality. Peter says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. We should be hospitable. Uh, Hebrews 13.2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Okay, good. But the point is this. There is a limit to hospitality. Hospitality has to come with discernment. And discrimination is needed in certain cases. You say, well, why is that? Why is that? Well, Paul actually explained to us when he wrote to Titus, he said to Titus, there are many rebellious men, and uh, they are empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, and they must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families. And they're teaching things that they should not teach. And they're doing it for the sake of sordid gain. They're doing it for themselves. So this lady has to be really, really careful, doesn't she? She has to learn to be discerning. If she doesn't change her ways, she and others in the church are in big trouble. Now, let's summarize. Number one, we need to learn to pursue relationships in love and truth. Number two, Practice obedience and love and truth. Number three, perform discernment in love and in truth. Lastly, look at this. John finishes his whole letter with this final greeting, and here he shows us how to plan fellowship. Plan fellowship in love and truth. Look at verse 12. He says to her, he says, Though I have many things to write to you, lady, I don't want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face. There's so much more that John wants to say, but it requires a face to face. He's promising to come to her. He's planning fellowship. He's planning a visit so that he would come and pass on some more really important truths. And he he tells us why he's coming. Verse 12, this is his goal. He says, so that your joy, lady, may be complete. He knows that this lady will be entirely joyful if she she would just put into practice the things that he's asking her to do. That's where joy comes from, comes from obedience. And then finally, in verse 13, he says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Who are these children? Well, these would be her nieces and nephews, right? So you've got the lady who has children somewhere, and then she has a sister somewhere who has children, nieces and nephews. Isn't it cool to see John kind of bring them in? (laughs) First he's saying, lady, you need to be obedient, because look, your kids are. They're doing it. And now he just slips in the nieces and nephews too. Great argument to attract this lady to come over and start putting these things into practice. Okay, we're done with the book, not with the sermon, okay? All right, we've still got some more to go. Uh, This is John's letter. It's real short, 13 verses, and it's packed with really great, important principles for us. And so what I want to do is have you turn over the page, okay? Turn over, and uh, I want to turn all of this into some summary principles for us And I want to do it in a way that would apply to us in Southern California, 2021. What does this mean for Faith Bible Church? That's the question. What does it mean for us? Here we go. Nine practical implications. Number one, number one, faithful shepherds must warn the sheep about wolves. Got to warn them. The Bible's real clear. It is the responsibility of pastors and elders to keep the sheep safe from predators. That's our job. That's what John was doing with this lady. Now, some people think, some people think that pastors should only be nice guys, that they smile a lot, and they never offend anyone, 
and they never tread on anyone's shoes, toes. They, they should always accept and accommodate every idea. They should accept every person and every philosophy. But, you know, that is just not what God says. It just isn't. The Lord wants shepherds to protect the sheep. Now, I want you to get a, a sense of how serious God is about this, okay? I want to take you all the way back to Ezekiel chapter 34, way back in the Old Testament. And God says this. He says, As I live, declares the Lord God, surely, because my flock has become prey, my flock has, be, has even become food for all of the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd, and my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. This is an indictment on shepherds who don't care for the sheep. And then look at verse 10. He says, the Lord God says, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding the sheep. That's a scary passage. <laughs> That's super scary for anyone who wants to be a pastor or a shepherd or a leader in the church because there is judgment. There's judgment for those shepherds who will not protect the souls under their care. Something they need to do. You know, Paul, he was so committed to this, he would even call out by name the false teachers in his day. And that's what John is doing here. He's warning this lady, saying, watch out, watch out, and be warned. Number two, number two, evangelize the lost, but don't support false teachers. This is important. Because some people read 2 John, and they conclude that it's wrong to bring unbelievers into their homes. They, they, they would use this letter to argue that they should never, never engage with the Saturday morning Mormons or the door-knocking Jehovah's Witnesses. That's what they conclude. But that's not what John is saying. It's not. It's not his point at all. John's concern was that this lady was actually supporting the efforts of these false teachers. She was helping them out. <laughs> That's his concern. And, and these false teachers, too, note this, that they weren't members of an outside cult, but they were pretending to be Christians from within the church. This is an entirely different thing. Actually, Paul said a similar thing in 1 Corinthians 5.13. He says, we don't need to be judging the outsiders. Just leave them to God. But, he says, we better get serious about judging those who are within the church. That's his point. So, practically speaking, listen, you can invite your Muslim neighbor over for dinner. In fact, you should do that. You, you should engage in gospel conversation with your Hindu friend. Uh, you should take your Mormon friend out for coffee for the purpose of evangelism. And if you've got family, some of you have family who belong to some religious cult, that just ups the ante. That means you have them over for Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving and birthdays and family events, and you present Christ to them. John's not telling us to stop doing evangelism. He's telling us to stop aiding and abetting false teachers who have infiltrated the church. So the issue is one of funding, the issue is one of money, financial support. That's his point. What does that mean for us? It means this. Don't give your money to false teachers. Don't, don't go on Christian TV and listen to all these charismatic heretics. And then when they ask you to send a check, you're the first one writing out a check to send it. Don't do that. Don't read the blogs. Don't log into their website and increase their ratings. Don't buy those so-called Christian 
books from the so-called Christian bookstore when you know it's not lined up with Scripture. Don't buy those so-called Christian music CDs from the so-called Christian artists who are singing lyrics that have got nothing to do with biblical doctrine, sound doctrine. Listen, when you're doing those things, you are supporting those people. You're giving them your money. So don't do that. If you do that, all you're doing is supporting their evil deeds. So instead, give your money to a church or a ministry that holds firmly to sound doctrine. Now, you need to figure this out, because which are those churches? (laughs) Which are the churches that have sound doctrine? That's number three. Number three, discern what are essential doctrines and what are not. What are the essential doctrines? Because those are the doctrines that you should support. Those are the churches and ministries and preachers that you could give your money to. Say, what are the essentials? Well, I I know this much. It's not the secondary and tertiary things that Christians often debate. That's a a whole other discussion. I I always like the fact, you've got two men, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, best of friends, love one another, great fellowship, but they could never be in the same church together. <laughs> never, it was never going to happen. You know why? Because they disagree on baptism, they disagree on end times, they disagree on church government, polity, church structure. They could never be in the same church, but they love one another. They fellowship with one another. And, and so that means... We can have fellowship over those secondary things, but what about the essentials? What about the primary things? What are the non-negotiables? I want to give you a list, okay? Here we go. The essentials. Things like the character of God. He's holy. He's creator, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, self-sufficient, sovereign, worthy of all worship, righteous, loving, and just. You cannot mess up the character of God. The nature of Scripture would be another one. It's inerrant. There's no mistakes in the Bible. It's complete, authoritative, God-breathed. It's God's very words. It's sufficient. It's living. It's active. It's powerful. We can't mess that up. The nature of man, created in the image of God, fallen into sin, unable to save himself, Male and female assigned by God. Created for God's glory and not for his own. Or this, the deity of Christ. 100% God, 100% man, perfect in humanity, spotless and blameless as a sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of his Father. He died on the cross to pay for sins. He was resurrected on the third day. We cannot mess this up. These are the essentials. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Gospel, there is one way to be saved. Through Jesus Christ, by faith and not by works. Salvation is a gift for those who trust in Christ and receive His righteousness. These are the essentials. Listen, if anyone messes these up, they're not a Christian. So don't give them your money. It's all that John is saying. Be discerning on the essentials. Number four, it's unloving to avoid the truth. Oh yeah, it's unloving to avoid the truth. What if you have a friend who's got some food stuck in their front teeth right there? It's big and it's black, kind of hanging. And you don't tell them. That's just mean. That's just that's unloving, right? You don't tell them that that's there. It's unloving. If you really so, love someone, you tell them what? The truth. You try to help them. If you really love them, you tell them the truth. That's why John was writing to this lady, because he loved her. He's telling her the truth. You know, someone, kind of sad, someone in... A counseling session just recently said to me, they said, I I need you, Nigel, to stop teaching me and start loving me. 
Now, what do you say to that? What? I need you to stop teaching me and start loving me. Now, obviously, I do some self-evaluation, like my approach and all of that, my tone. Got that. But listen, if I really love that person, I'm going to tell them the truth, yes? If I really love them, I'm going to bring the Word of God to bear on their life and on mine so that we can both grow. The response is this. Love and truth go hand in hand. You know, our own Abraham Diaz, he uh, posted on Facebook last week. I, I looked at his post and I saw it there and I liked it. This is, what he, this is what he posted. He said this, if your entire theology is God is love and do not judge, then you don't have Christianity. What you have is what? Oprah. Yeah, that's true. Oprah and Ellen and any number of self-improvement gurus, they all, they all tell us this. That they would say you can be loving or you can be truthful, but you can't be both. That's what they say. That, folks, is a lie. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Because if you really love someone, you're going to tell them the truth. That's genuine love. Number five in your notes, don't buy into the secular worldview that says truth is relative. That's what the world says. That's what the, the secular, secularists say. There is no singular truth, they say. They say truth is relative. They say no one can claim to be right and then force their opinions on others. They say no one's allowed to stand strong on convictions and each person should be allowed to live however they want. Don't bother them. No one's allowed to be universally in charge of what's wrong and what's right. And what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. That's what they say. It's in politics. It's in society. It's this anti-truth movement. It's in the movies. It's in TV. It's in the news, in music, in universities, high schools, junior high, elementary schools. It's everywhere. I'm just saying, don't buy into that nonsense. Listen, anyone who says... There is no ultimate truth. Guess what they've just done? They've just made an ultimate truth claim. What? Or, or anyone who says, you can't judge me. What have they just done? They've just judged you. And, and, and no one can say moral judgments are wrong because they've just made a moral judgment. And, and anyone who says you can't make absolute rules has just made an absolute rule. These people are hypocrites. So don't fall for that ridiculous stuff. John showed this lady his commitment to the truth and now he's asking her to do the same. Number six, truth is not divisive. That's what the world says. But really, truth is not divisive. Truth unifies. That's what truth does. You know, there are churches that say, they say, you know, if I, if I preach the truth, people will leave. I'll split the church. If, if, I, if I teach the truth without somehow softening the blow or some kind of compromise, the church is never going to grow. But the reality is that church, sorry, that truth is not divisive for those who love the truth. Because Christians who love the truth want to hear it. The problem is that there are some people who don't want to hear it. Uh, Paul said this in 2 Timothy 4. He said that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the what? From the truth. And they will turn aside to myths. Fake believers do not want to hear the truth. 
They run a mile. But genuine believers, genuine Christians love the truth. In fact, they are unified by that truth. Jesus prayed for his disciples, and uh, he, said, he said to his Father, he asked, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That means, then, that it's in the truth that we are sanctified. It's in the truth that we get on the same page. It's in the truth that we find camaraderie and agreement and unity and love for one another. So let's get in the truth. Let's be committed to the truth. Out of the truth comes genuine love. They go hand in hand. Number seven, talking about love. Love is not an emotion. It's not an emotion. The Bible says nothing about falling in and out of love. Love is not whimsical. It's not an emotion that comes and goes. Love is not even that warm, fuzzy feeling that you have towards other FBCers on Sunday mornings. Just not that. It's not love. Love is not a Mills and Boone book. Love is not some chick flick. Okay? It just, it's none of those things. Love, real love, is gritty. It's self-sacrificing. It's obedience to God seven days a week. Love plays itself out in real life obedience. A wife says, a wife says, oh, I love my husband, I just can't live with him. Well, that's not love. Or a father says, you know, I love my kids, but I just can't afford the time to train them up and disciple them. That's not love. Or a student says, a student says, I love my youth group, but don't ask me to serve. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> That's not love. Or some church attender comes in and says, wow, I love this church. But then you look at them. They're always late. They're not plugged in to a small group. They don't give. They don't pray for anyone else. They don't serve. That is not love. Real Christians who really love God obey Him. Bottom line, they obey Him, His commandments. You know, if you're a new Christian, maybe you're just recently in Christ. It's great. One of the best things you can do to speed up your sanctification is to learn to define love properly. If you know what love really is, and you go after love, then you will be growing like wildfire. You will take off in your sanctification, and you will be obedient. It's the best thing ever. Know what biblical love really looks like. Number eight, almost there, number eight, good intentions do not make your actions right. <laughs> this is interesting. This nice old lady in 2 John, she had the best of intentions, agreed? She wanted to do the right thing. She intended to shower grace upon her visitors. She wanted to treat them without prejudice. But listen, all the best intentions in the world, if they are not played out according to God's commandments, they're just sin. Let's call it what it is. It's just sin. Husbands. You can tell your wife that you didn't mean to hurt her. And you can tell her that you didn't mean to upset her. And you can say, well, I, I didn't do it deliberately. But that doesn't change the fact that you still sinned against her. Good intentions don't make your actions right. Husbands, wives, students, singles... Stop harping on about your good intentions because they mean nothing. They hardly matter. It doesn't matter what you plan to do. It only matters what you actually did and how you did it. Number nine, speaking the truth does not give you license to be mean. Does not give you license to be mean. You know, no one likes a nasty Christian. <laughs> no one respects a belly-aching believer. 
you really want to love someone, tell them the truth. But if you really want them to listen to that truth, then you better do it in a loving way. Be winsome. (laughs) No one warms up to a cranky Christian. No one wants to listen to a hypocrite. If you're not lovingly walking in obedience yourself, why should anyone else listen? Listen, people do this. They're sinning right in the midst of telling someone the truth. (laughs) But their sin voids the whole message. Look, you know, John was amazing here. He corrected the lady, but his approach is wonderful. He starts off in verse 1, and he affirms her election. And then he says he loves her. And then he's rejoicing in her children. This is all encouragement, right? And then he reminds her of existing convictions that she already has. And he appeals to God's word as the authority, not himself. He goes back to the Old Testament. He explains his terms to avoid confusion. He gives time to walk her through this. Explains everything. He explains the reasonings for his warnings. He gives really clear instruction, and then he even promises to come visit. It's awesome. And John lovingly walks through this whole thing. He's never mean. Never mean. Some of you are heavy-handed with people. Some of you are. Some of you are unkind when you bring correction. Some of you treat your husbands or your wives with contempt as you speak to them. And then you justify it and you say, well, I'm just speaking the truth. Fooey on you! Speaking the truth in sin voids the whole message. Learn to tell the truth with love. Tell the truth while being obedient to yourself. Next week, Pat Levis comes, he's preaching out of Third John, and it's the same theme. Would you get ready? Like, would you pull out your Bibles this week and read Third John? Just prepare your hearts. It's a great letter. It's going to be really, really helpful. In the meantime, challenge yourself to walk in love and truth. Evaluate which doctrines are essential and need to be defended. Determine not to support false teachers and Would you please stand, stand for the truth with great love? Would you do it? May God help us all. Let's pray. Father, we, we acknowledge we can't do this by ourselves. We need your help. The world around us is trying to mess us up and confuse us with lies. Sometimes the lies even come from within the so-called church. Lord, help us not to listen to those. Help us to be discerning. Help us to be obedient, to walk in both love and in truth. We need your help, Lord, to do this. And we're asking it for your sake and in Christ's name. Amen.